why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, just throw your hand up. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. There are people coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. If you forgot your Bible, don't have it on your phone, whatever, throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible to bring with you every uh, morning, grab one of these and take it as our gift to you and go to the book of Exodus. It's second book in the Bible, easy to find. Genesis, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. As you're turning there, we're, we're, we're kind of getting close to the end of this series we've been in called Knowing God. And, and why would we spend a couple months digging into this? Why, why would we want to know who God is, looking at his attributes? And we're doing it because we believe this, that the deepest need in our lives, the deepest need in our families, the deepest need here in our church, the deepest need in our community is to know God. And so, so our aim in this series is for us to, to know him better, to have a higher view of who he is, to see him in his glory. And so we've been covering his attributes. But for the next couple of mornings, we're going to talk about, dig into a couple of attributes that are, are a little more uncomfortable, a little bit harder to talk about. It's, it's uncomfortable some ways to, to think of God in these ways. Ne- next week, we're going to talk about God's wrath. This week, we're going to talk about how God calls himself a jealous God. Jealousy is not normally something you think of as, boy, that's a good attribute. I want to be a a jealous person. But all throughout Scripture, you see jealousy is a sin. We're called not to be jealous. For you and me, it's a sin to be jealous because our jealousy typically comes from a place of fear or envy or anger or pride. But we also see in Scripture there's a godly jealousy. Let let me tell you a bit of a personal story here. It it was um, a night that I'd planned. I'd planned this date for a, a long time. Um, I, I borrowed a friend's vehicle because mine was in the shop, had not been out for a long time, and I, I wanted to drive this, this beautiful girl out to a date, so I borrowed my friend's vehicle. I, I made reservations at the, the restaurant on the top of the CN Tower, you know, it spins, right? I called, I'm like, I'm making reservations, and they made a point, I don't know whether they could just hear in my voice that I was a bit of a dirtbag, but they're like, you know, there's a minimum cost, right? The, each plate has a minimum number, and I'm thinking... Boy, I sure hope we eat enough to, to, to make that minimum. I got there, opened the menu, and saw that was not going to be a problem, right? So, so I, I, I go, I get all dressed up. I, I, I drive to her house. I pick her up. I make sure I grab enough cash from the ATM to pay for that expensive meal. And, 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 and we, we went out and had a great time. I was crazy awkward. She was crazy beautiful. I drove her back home at the end of the evening, and, and, and the moment was just right. I mean, we've been, we've been kind of dating for a while, and it was just one of those moments where you just know this is it. Like, this is just a, a sweet time. This is like where, the, where in the movie, like everything, the stars were aligning, and you know, oh, you're, you're staring deeply into each other's eyes. And, and me being the gentleman that I am, I asked, hey, could I kiss you goodnight? And she looked back deep into my eyes and said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, we continued to get to know each other more. The relationship grew over the next few months. And then, well, 20 years ago, August the 15th, Libby and I were married. And um, woo-woo, she eventually did let me kiss her, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, now, why would I tell you that story other than to make you sick or to, to realize how much of a doofus I am? The reason I tell you this story is this. Here, I, I love my wife a lot. Um, she's my bride. And listen, I'm jealous for her. I'm jealous for her good. I'm jealous to see that she's well cared for. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous to provide for her. I'm jealous to protect her from anything that would harm her. I'm, I'm jealous to, to protect my love for her. I'm jealous to protect her love for me. And it's that kind of picture, that kind of jealousy that I would have for Libby that I, I want to invite you in to see the jealousy of God. 
his jealous love for you. I want us to see as we unpack God's word this morning that, the, that God as a jealous God is so good for us. Unbelievably good. Now, don't roll too far with this illustration of, of, of my love that I have for Libya. I'm not a perfect husband, all right? I was just pausing for Libby to say amen really loudly there, right? There, there are some huge differences between, between my jealousy for my wife or your jealousy for your spouse and God's jealousy. We want to dig into God's word. What does God's jealousy look like? What's it look like for him to have a holy, righteous jealousy for us? If you have your Bibles open, look at Exodus chapter 20. Just the first six verses, it says this. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We see right here in this passage, verse 5, God says, I'm your God and I'm a jealous God. Now, if you're wondering, well, okay, that's just here in this, this one part. God, God, God kind of lays out, I'm a jealous God, but really, I mean, why would we just pull one statement that he says? I mean, it's, it's all over Scripture. You read through the book of Deuteronomy over and over again. He talks about being a jealous God. Psalms, Joshua, Ezekiel, Nahum. You get to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, God's a jealous God. This is not a small part about the character of God. In fact, later on in Exodus 34, 14, God actually says, my name is jealous. His name is jealous. Like, like calling a tall guy stretch. Okay, he's saying, I'm jealous because that's what I'm like. God has this holy jealousy. And, and again, what we're going to see this morning, that's a good thing. In fact, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this. God's jealousy is about a relationship. It's about relationship. That, that's where his jealousy comes from. It comes from the fact that he has a relationship with us. In verse 1, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, what's that about? How does this describe his relationship? Well, you have to understand that Exodus is a part of a, a five-part volume book series called the Pentateuch. Right? It's the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, right? Tuke meaning a warm hat you wear in the winter, right? So it's, no, it's not. Tuke means, it, it means a case or, or a scroll casing. It's five books. Exodus is the second in the series. The first in the volume is Genesis. In Genesis, it describes the creation of everything, creation of the universe, creation of you and me. And God creates this world. And over and over again in Genesis 1 and 2, he uses the same word over and over again as he creates. He says it's what? It's good. He creates and it's good. And this is good. And this is good. Creation was good. It was in this, this perfect state of peace. Jewish theologians call it a shalom. It's, it's a shalom, it's a, a peace. And there, there was this, this shalom in creation, but there's also a shalom between people and God. There was this relationship between people and God where, where in the garden, they, they had this unhindered relationship where they could walk through the garden together. 
It's this pure, untainted, beautiful, full of blessing, totally free. This, this relationship where, where God's love poured out on Adam and Eve. I mean, this is what we're created for. We're created with this capacity to, to actually know God and to enjoy a relationship with him in a, in a way that nothing else in creation can do. But here's what goes on in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they decide, we don't want this relationship. We don't want it this way. We want to build our life without this relationship. We see right away that they don't trust God's plans. They don't trust his care. They don't trust his rule. And, and so they say, we don't want you anymore. And, and through this sin, the sin of rebellion, everything that was shalom, that was peace, falls into complete disarray. And sin brings, sin brings this curse and everything falls apart. It brings a curse on our relationships where now there's hatred and envy and anger and, and, and there's relationships between husband and wife are strained. And see Adam and Eve, you see the curse on them. You, you see relations between brothers where Cain kills Abel. Our bodies are cursed and we start to deteriorate. The, the whole earth is cursed with thorns and, and thistles and tsunamis and everything you could think of that would, that would come in. And this shalom... This peace is shattered. But the greatest consequence is this, the shalom between us and God. This relationship that we have with God is completely shattered and, and we're driven out of Eden. We're driven out of this shalom. Here's where verse one has, verse one and two has so much power. Verse two says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's describing a relationship that he has with his people. You see, because as Genesis goes on after the fall, after sin wrecks the shalom, God promises this guy Abraham, he says, hey, hey, through you, I'm gonna raise up a people and from your people will come a savior that will restore the shalom, that will bring back this relationship. Abraham grows into a family, the nation of Israel. But by the end of Genesis, as we come to the, the end of that first book of this volume of, of five books, we come to that end of the book and, and the people of Egypt, God's people are enslaved. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. For over 400 years, they're in slavery. And there's this very real slavery that's a picture of the reality of the spiritual slavery as well. Slavery caused by sin, but God steps in. In the midst of that, he steps in to rescue. And he, and he sends this stuttering, weak leader named Moses who's been hiding out for four year, 40 years in the wilderness. He brings this guy to, to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to deliver this message, say, let my people go. Actually, it's Pharaoh. He's probably like, well, God says, maybe if you could let, let our people, right? That's probably Moses, right? He, he was this scared guy. God sends him. And Pharaoh says to Moses, why would I ever do that? And Moses says, because my stick can turn into a snake. And he drops, right? And remember that story? And the, and the stick turns into a snake. And Pharaoh's like, big deal. He gets his magicians to do the same thing. Now, Pharaoh, I think he missed the one part of that. Remember in that story, there are all these other snakes now. And then, then the snake that, that, that Moses' stick had become ate the other snakes. Pharaoh kind of missed that part because he thinks, man, I'm greater than God. So God sends plagues on Egypt. And, and these 10 plagues, they're not random. I mean, they're showing how, how in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God brought peace out of chaos. He brought order out of disorder. And now God's showing in these plagues, he's showing I'm greater than all these gods, but he's also showing this. Listen, this is what sin does. It, it brings chaos and disorder. 
result of a broken relationship. And he's saying, when, when you disobey, when, when you don't follow me, when, when you don't put your hope in me as a designer of creation, life unravels. The plagues come to the end. God miraculously rescues Israel from the chaos, from their slavery. And now we come to God saying, here's who I am. And he begins to lay out these commandments, 10 of them. And these commandments, they're showing, here's how the relationship's supposed to work. Here's how your relationship with God's supposed to work, how your relationship with other people is supposed to work. And when, when you disobey them, when you, when you pull away from this relationship, God says, life goes into chaos. And so when you, when you read the Ten Commandments from the perspective of, of a relationship, from, from God's rescue, you start to see, wait a minute, these commandments aren't meant to hold us in slavery. They're, they're setting us free from slavery. And they're keeping us from going back into slavery. So God's saying here, listen, I rescued you and, and we have this relationship now. That God's not just some God out there. Some, oh yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, I, I talk to him sometimes. I, I ask him if he'll take care of things. Listen, that's not a relationship. We've heard it said this way, that God's not your grandpa in the sky. The couple ways that God describes himself in Scripture, one is a father and one is a husband. You, you can see the difference between a father and a husband versus a grandpa, right? If, if you remember you're your kid, right, you go to grandma and grandpa's house, they let you do everything mom and dad won't, right? That's kind of the role of a grandparent. Like, let's go, come on, rules are gone, let's have fun. And, and we kind of love a God that way. Like, God, you're just kind and gentle and nice and, and you've got worthers in your pocket and you're going to be so, Right? God says, listen, I'm not your grandpa, I'm your father. I'm your husband and I'm jealous for you to have a relationship with you that goes true, that goes deep. And he says, in fact, this relationship is defined in this way. I'm your deliverer. You're a delivered people. You're a rescued people. You're a released people. That's who we are in the relationship. That, that's what defines us, that, that we used to be owned by sin, a slave to sin. That sin that still speaks to us like Egypt does, that says, no, no, you're mine. You're, you're enslaved to me. And God speaks into that slavery. Listen, if you know Christ this morning, if you've given your life to Christ, God speaks into that. Like he says in Exodus 19.5, he says, you are now my treasured possession. You're not owned by sin any longer. God steps in with the people of Israel and says, I have something different to say about you. You're mine. You've been purchased. Listen, this morning, Christ follower, you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and you are God's treasured possession. Even if this morning, if you see yourself as a slave, maybe you see the brokenness and, and, and the filth of sin that's been done to you or sin that you've done, that you've chosen, and God says in the midst of that, he pulls you out of that and says, listen, no, you're my treasure. That's the greatest news in all the world that, that any sinner, listen, any sinner, anywhere, that God's made a way for you to be rescued from that, to be, to be rescued from the chaos, back into the shalom, back into the relationship with God. And, and I would urge you, if, if you've never cried out to God to rescue you from your sins, to forgive you through Christ's death on the cross in your place, man, I would urge you today, do it. That today be the day that you, you say, I want to enter into that relationship with God. And then by faith in Jesus Christ, that relationship is restored. That, that shalom, that peace, as you're restored, reconciled to God. I mean, listen, today you can be forgiven of all your sin. 
by repenting, by, by turning away from your sin, by putting your hope, your worship, your, everything you put your life on, you, you, that you put it on other things and you turn and go, I'm putting this on you, Lord Jesus. I'm trusting you. I mean, God loves us so much. Listen, he made a way to, to save us from our sin, to, to give us a life that's more free, a life that's lived for his glory with us in a relationship with him. And God's jealous for that. Now, now, why would God be jealous? And when we think of jealousy, we, we can think of it in, in the terms of us, us and how we are with each other. And, and I can think of, well, is it like my jealousy for my wife? And, and like when we were dating, I mean, Libby had a, some guys who were her friends and some of those dudes were studs. And so I was jealous, right? Insecure. Wondering, man, I wonder if, I wonder if she kind of likes them more than she likes me. And, and listen, listen, God's jealousy is different than that kind of jealousy. Because God is completely secure. And listen, because God is supremely satisfying, which means God knows there is no one, nothing better than him to bring you hope and peace and joy and redemption. God's not like some insecure deity who's just worried, oh no, you're, you're gonna start to worship some other small G God and, and in them you're gonna find more fulfillment, you're gonna find more satisfaction. No, God knows that there's no one, there's nothing that could ever come close to comparing to the joy and the fulfillment and satisfaction that's found in him and his glory. God alone is worthy of all the glory. And so he says, I want this relationship with you, this relationship of rescued and rescuer. Here's our second point this morning. That this, this relationship that, that we're called into is this. It's, it's an exclusive and intimate relationship. It's exclusive and it's intimate. He says in verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything. God, God's saying, listen, I created all of this stuff. Don't take what I created and try to put it in my place. I gave these things to you for you to enjoy, but, but only I get the glory. If you take these things and put them in that place, if you, you start to worship them instead of me, everything falls apart, goes to chaos. It's an exclusive relationship. Don't run back to Egypt. If you love anything more than me, listen, I get it. We don't have carved images in our home. But what God's saying is if you love something more than you love me, it's an idol. And it provokes God's jealousy. Now, why would God be jealous of that? Because of his love for you. Because in, in Scripture, there's this picture that that relationship between us and God is like a marriage relationship. And, and in a marriage, you say to your spouse, you should have no other loves before me, instead of me, on the side. There's, there's no other loves. When you're married, it becomes this exclusive relationship. And, and you start to look at marriages that get hurt and, and so many marriages are broken and hurt by, by some of them by a lot of destructive things where, where a spouse puts their love in something that, that's damaging. They, they go after alcohol or drugs or pornography or, 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 or another person. You know, marriages are also hurt by things that maybe don't seem like bad things. When anything comes into a marriage, it becomes more important than, than your spouse when, when work becomes more valuable, when your kids become more important, 
And you can hear, you can hear a spouse saying things like they're married to their job. Or this is what takes all their attention, all their affection, all their energy, all their love. And, and, and you can tell who, who has ownership of, of your heart. You can tell who has ownership of your spouse's heart. Where their real hope is, where their real love is, where their real joy is. And, and if it's not in the spouse, the marriage does not work. Your spouse has to be your first love, your first priority. When money or, or a job or, or someone else or something else, when, when that starts to take your affection to a greater place than your spouse, the marriage starts to fall apart. Here's the deal. A marriage that's going to have, that's gonna have, have joy and hope and peace and is a marriage where, where I would say to Libby, I love you not because of what you give to me. I love you because you're mine. And I love you because I'm yours. That, that, that in a marriage, there are parts of me that only Libby gets. There are parts of her that only I get. There's this exclusive relationship. Now, here's the thing. This sermon isn't about marriage. It's, it's, it's about God. So, so here's, here's the picture I'm trying to paint, that this is what God's going after. He's asking for what any spouse would ask for. God's saying, listen, I don't just want you to serve me. I don't want you to just go through the motions. I don't want you to read the Ten Commandments. Go, okay, I'll do those. I'll obey those. God's saying, I, I want you to love me. I, I, I want to be the priority of your life. And if you love anything more than me, if there's, if there's anything in your life that gives you more hope than the relationship you have with God, if there's anything that's more important to you than your relationship with God, what, what we're doing is we're provoking God's jealousy. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. And it's exclusive. And it's intimate. Now, I think about how my day typically begins. Does my day begin in a way that it shows, God, you're my, my, you're, you're my priority? I'll tell you, my day often begins. I, I'll grab my phone. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of scroll through emails. And, and there might be an email in there. Man, I got to respond to this. Why? Why? Because I got to take care of this. Because I want to make sure this person's okay with me. Or my mind starts to go on the tasks of the day and I, and I, and I want to start to, man, I want to be sure that, that what happens is right away in the morning, my heart's being wooed by other loves. And God says in verse five, he goes, when you bow down to these, he says, I'm a jealous God. Look what he says. And he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That, that word iniquity there, when our hearts turn to other loves, iniquity, it means, it means being crooked. It's something that's not growing straight. He's saying when you, when you turn, when you put your hope and your love into something, when something else becomes ultimate over me, God's saying you're growing crooked and you'll grow crooked to the point where eventually it'll break off until you're crippled. Maybe you've had this. Have you ever had like an injury where it makes you walk a little different? Right? There's just like a foot injury. So you start walking different. What happens? The doctor says, hey, you got to be careful because if you start walking differently, that foot injury becomes a knee injury. That knee injury becomes a back injury. If you do it so long, you'll, you'll be right out. You'll be flat out. And God's saying this, listen, when you start to put your love in other things, you begin to grow crooked. And you can see this played out in so many ways, can't you? Think about a young person who puts all their hope on finding the perfect spouse. 
Then they get married and they, they put the full weight of their soul. You are going to be my rescuer. You're going to be my hope. They put their full weight of their soul on their spouse and the spouse fails them because we all will fail each other and they're devastated. Why? Because, because we make things into gods that aren't gods and people make horrible gods. You're, you're never going to find a person who's going to fulfill everything you wanted your life to be. We work so hard to, to win the approval of people and maybe this is you and, you and you strive so hard for success. Like, man, I'm gonna make something of myself because my, my dad said I'd never be something. Man, I'll prove him wrong. And you work and you work and you get to the top. You finally get there and it's still empty because chasing after people's approval, it's like going after the wind. It's, you just never seem to catch it. This is what happens when we make other things God that were not meant to be God. They cannot bear the weight of our soul. And God here, he's saying, and listen, if you run after these things, if, if you make your life more about this than, than my glory, it's not going to go well for you. You're going to grow crooked. The iniquity will grow. And you're going to pass that on to the next generation and to the next generation. These commandments that are given to Israel, these commandments that are given to us and the Ten Commandments here, again, they're not to put us into more slavery. They're to rescue us from it. So then how do I know? How do I know that my heart is pursuing God's glory alone? How do I know if I'm in this exclusive relationship? Well, look at verse 6. It says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and what? And keep my commandments. He says, listen, listen, your love for me is exclusive. No other gods, he says. And how is it lived out? This exclusivity is lived out, not just, God, you're going to meet all my needs. It's about me saying, God, you're mine. And I want to obey you and you alone. It's this amazing thing of what obedience does. It's, it's a way of showing our, our love for God. It's, it's a way of us saying, God, this is my heart to you. But listen, it's also this. It's God's way of creating something beautiful in you as well. That he knows what brings you the greatest joy, peace, hope, purpose, wholeness. It's, it's my glory in your life. It's me. And he, and he wouldn't be a loving God if he didn't pursue that. He rescued us and now continues to redeem us. And say, listen, I, I'm rescuing you out of slavery. I'm not going to leave you broken. I'm not going to let you live just any way you want. I didn't just forgive you, but I'm transforming you. And, and he says, I'm not going to stop until I've made you into who you're created to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so in his love, what's he do? He comes after us and, and, and he calls us to this place. He goes, listen, live this way. And in this, you're going to flourish. So not only is he jealous for our affection, he's jealous for our sanctification. He's jealous for us to be made whole. Because if you really love somebody, you can't just sit back there and say, well, you know, I don't really care how you are. I don't care if you're doing something destructive. I don't care how you're living. No, the more you love someone, the more you say, I want to come after you. I want to be sure you flourish. You live the way you need to live. In fact, look what he says before he says, I'm a jealous God. He says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He says, I am your God. It's, it's covenant language. It, it's God's marriage language with his people. He says, you're my people, I'm your God. 
When you say, I'm yours, what are you saying? You're saying, I'm at your disposal. I'm giving myself to you. God, God, I'm yours. You're mine. I I give myself to you, and and I want this intimate relationship with you. And how does the intimacy show itself? It shows itself in how we follow him. And when you're falling in love with someone, what do you do? You do things that please the person, right? They don't need to make a list. Hey, here's some things you need to do if you want to show your love for me. No, you start to make your own list. You just know. Listen, when Libby and I first started dating, man, I started to change. I cut my hair. I used hair product. Crazy, right? Started to dress a little nicer. Now now that we're married, I I, want to serve my wife. Listen, I don't make the bed in the morning because it's something Libby says, you need to make the bed every morning. I want to make the bed in the morning because I know that my wife loves an organized home. Right? I just want, I want her to walk in the bed and go, oh, the bed's made. That's awesome. Right? And so the Ten Commandments here, here's what they really are. You can look at the Ten Commandments where God's saying, hey, no other gods. And he gives all these other lists of things. Here's the way to live. It's a statement of romance is what it is. It's a statement of love. It's, it's us saying, like, remember the movie Princess Bride? It's us being Wesley to Buttercup where we go, as you wish, Right? Remember that part of the, he's just like, wow, that's all the love that we've been, all the, the thing you're waiting, man, does he love her? Does she know that he loves him? And he, he expresses his love by saying, as you wish. Because whenever we sin, we don't just disobey. We don't just break rules like a, like a citizen breaks the rules of a king. Listen, it's an exclusive relationship. So when we sin, we're betraying him. We're committing spiritual adultery. There's nothing more wounding than to experience your spouse being unfaithful to you, committing adultery on you. In the same way, God is jealous for his people. You know, the real tragedy of this whole text here is while God's laying this out for Moses up on Mount Sinai, talking to him about this is what this new relationship's gonna look like as I've redeemed and rescued you, that at the bottom of Mount Sinai, the people were already committing spiritual adultery. They'd taken all their gold together, melted it down to make a golden calf, and they start worshiping that. In fact, in the middle of all this, while God's talking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he's like, you know what, forget it. I'm killing them all. They're done. I'm done with it. Moses, it's just going to be you and me because you don't cheat on me. So you and me and, and God in an act of mercy and grace, only by his grace, he, he relents. He doesn't take them completely out. Now here's the weird part of what, what the Israelites are doing on the bottom of the mountain. They've got this holy, awesome God and, and they make for themselves an idol. And now, here's what I'm thinking. If I'm going to make an idol that I bow down to, that I think is powerful and mighty, I'm making a golden lion, right? I'm making a golden eagle, I am not making a golden calf, right, with nice eyes and the eyelashes, right? No, nobody bows down to a calf, right? It's, they're ridiculously cute animals. I think God's showing us how ridiculous it is to love and worship anything but him. I mean, with, with, the, with the brokenness and sinfulness and rebelliousness of our hearts, don't we take the most ridiculous things and make them the ultimate thing in our life? God says, don't don't give to others what's meant for me. He says, you're betrothed to me. 
In the book of Ephesians, it, it, it talks about it in the exact same way where it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And again, this imagery of, of us as the church, we're the bride of Christ. Says, love, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. He shows us this love, what this relationship looks like by laying down his life for us. Listen, listen, listen. here's the big difference between God's jealousy and our jealousy. God's jealousy leads to love, leads to sacrifice. Human jealousy unchecked, where does it go? It goes to anger. Eventually, it leads to hatred. God's love, though, when it's pushed, God's love dies for you. So that in spite of your spiritual adultery, you can return. God took all the rejection on himself. He absorbed the debt and he paid the debt himself so that we could be set free. right now, the worst team's going to come up, and I want you to stand with me as we respond. Would you stand where you are right now? Just as, as we close, I, I want to I ask you this. Honestly, right here, right now, just between you and God, What's your greatest affection? I mean, really think right now, what is it that you're really after? What's most important in your heart this morning? You think of it this way, as one preacher said, what would you sin to get? What would you sin to keep? What would you be angry about if God did not provide this for you? Or if you called out to God, God, I need this, and God said no. You begin to think, what is your life really about? Does your answer reveal something right now in your heart that you need to turn away from in repentance? Does it reveal something right now that you need to reorder? Does it reveal something that even right now you need to just lay down? Because listen, anything other than God's glory, living for anything other than God's glory, it twists us, it makes us crooked, eventually destroys us. It's God alone who gives life. So what do we do? We trust him. We find our satisfaction in him and him alone. God is jealous for your love. God is jealous for your affections. Why? Because he knows he's the only one who can satisfy. So right now, I I would urge you to, to, to run from sin to reorient your life, to to reorient your family, to reorient your work, to reorient your your priorities, to reorient your possessions, everything that you do, to reorient them to do what? To seek God's glory. And and in having your life, it's all about you, God, all about your glory. When that happens, listen, it, it brings him glory and it brings you good. So we're going to sing, and as we sing, I want us to take this moment as you sing. It's not a closing song. 
It's a song to orient your heart. It's a time to, to, in a real practical way, turn your worship towards him, to, to seek Jesus and Jesus only. And Christ gave his life for this relationship with us so that, that we could give him our full worship, to have this exclusive, this intimate relationship with him. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you've been, you're here for the first time maybe, or you've been checking out church for a while, or maybe you've been hanging out for a long time on Christ. But this morning, that right now, while we sing, you would turn from yourself, you would turn from the other places you run to, and you would say, I want you, Lord, I want to follow you. If you know Jesus this morning, and you know his love, I would say take the time as you worship for, for those other loves that have a grip on your heart where, where it causes you to wander, to, to look other places, that you'd repent of the ways that you're not worshiping, the ways that you're not honoring, the ways you're not glorifying God. Maybe this morning, rather than just sing, maybe, maybe you need to come up and get on your knees. Maybe right where you are, you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to grab somebody beside you and say, would you pray with me? I gotta pray before I sing. During this time, take the time to let go of the things of the world that you run after, after instead of running to him. And as you do that, as you repent, realize that despite your sin, despite your wandering, that Jesus paid for that sin and he's made a way for you to enjoy God, to bring him glory for your good. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that as we lift high your name right now, to recognize, Lord Jesus, what you've done for us, that, that you, you gave your life for us, that you left everything that heaven offered to rescue and redeem so that you are truly our God who's rescued us, that, that, that you deserve all the glory, all the worship of our lives. God, forgive us where we've, where we've stoked your jealousy because we've gone after other things. That God, we would, we would see again, even this morning, what it means to be in an exclusive relationship with the creator of the universe. And that our lives would be marked as, as people, as families, as this church, as a place where God, your glory is our greatest desire to worship you with our whole lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.